0: A warm welcome back to the information security stack together with me Darren Gustafsson and Kim Hindart. Today, Kim, we are going to continue to talk about what is the series that we have in this uh, podcast sessions where we discuss different topics and today we're actually going to talk about what is City Network because... That might not be super clear to everyone that is listening to this podcast. A, you might not all recognize us, and you might not recognize City what we do, or you do, and you don't have the full backstory to why we do what we do. So we figured that we were going to talk a little bit about City Network as a company, what we do, the services we provide, and the couple of the regulatory things that we work with to in order to provide our services. So should we do a quick summary first of where we were? before we got to where we are.
1: Yeah, let's start a bit with the origin story. When did it all start? All right, so fair enough. I'll give you the backtrack.
0: The company was founded in 2002 and it started out as a web hosting company. And that was the majority of the business for a long time. So it was actually a pure consumer company in in the um, early ages of the company. In 2009, though, the decision was made that we were going to launch a IaaS service infrastructure as a service cloud. Uh, That was the new big thing. Two years earlier, roughly, uh, Amazon had launched AWS in the US. And we thought that it could be a good thing to do in Scandinavia and Northern Europe as well. So it was quite an early idea. And initially, I'm pretty sure the City Network was the first company in Scandinavia, at least to launch an IAS uh, cloud. Uh, It was based on a different type of uh, infrastructural solution. It was more of a server as a service than a infrastructure as a service and it was good for what it was at that specific time then in 2015 things changes Uh, that was the uh, year that we decided that we should move to an open source platform and we decided to go with OpenStack and today all of our clouds eight of them in total I believe it is um, are launched and uh, available on OpenStack as a platform so that decision was made essentially to uh, become more competitive, to have a platform that is readily available. That does not mean that we have to develop all these services ourselves, and we can draw the benefit of an open open source community, since OpenStack is all uh, all open source. So that was done in 2015. Um, so City Cloud, which is our public cloud, as I mentioned, was first launched in 2009. It was redone in 2015. And is now available in six regions around the world currently. Uh, so that was that was the public cloud side of it. But something happened in 2015 as well. We went to an IT fair in Gothenburg and we listened to a lawyer who was standing on a stage and had a presentation regarding clouds and government agencies and councils and so on and all types of regulated industries, to be fair. And she stated right off the bat that that is pretty much impossible. All government agencies, all highly regulated industries cannot use clouds on a general term, period. And then Kim, what did we do about that? Because we were at that fair, we listened to that presentation, which was a good presentation and she was not wrong in the actual facts. But we got a little bit pissed off anyway, so we did something about it. What what did we do?
1: Yeah, because we felt that uh, that was actually a challenge we wanted to take on. Uh, Since we consider ourselves a public cloud as well, you hear there's actually an ISO standard. So for you nerds out there, ISO 17788 (laughs) defines what is a cloud. So all you who say, oh, there's only one cloud, and that's Microsoft Cloud. No, (laughs) Microsoft wants you to believe that there's only one cloud. There's several clouds. There's even several cloud types. So we're going to (laughs) come to that, that. that. We started as a public cloud, but the big hyperscalers that we are familiar with, it's Microsoft, Google, and AWS. They are all public clouds, and at this moment, they were also public cloud. So they had one set of general terms that's the same for everyone. Mm. And you never changed the general terms at all. Mm. And um, yeah, if you want to have the baseline, basic, most cheapest price list available, and a lot of people love to compare prices, say, ah, you're a lot more expensive than this. Mm. Yeah, but if you compare the general terms, they are on the cheapest price list. Then you can actually increase your costs a bit and get other terms. You could. The functionality is the same, exactly mm. the same. The t- functionality, but you get other terms. But anyway, this was actually her message a lot about the general terms they provided. It's impossible, and I totally agree. The general terms they provide suck, mm. still do. So for everyone listening out there, you cannot just take the general terms as is and say, okay, now we are totally compliant. No, <laughs> you need to check the fine print really well and see mm. what additional things do you need to have into that. Mm. So we had a meeting the day after actually with that lawyer and said, well, this surely has to depend on what cloud we have. What do you need to build that cloud? So what happened?
0: <laughs> well, essentially, yeah. So that was our question to to her. If if you're stating that it is impossible for for uh, government agencies and highly regulated regulate, regulated industries to use public clouds, then what should we do? And her message was pretty, pretty clear. Well, in order for this to work, the cloud providers has to adapt to the uh, to the uh, laws and regulation that these companies fall under, and. We said, okay, challenge accepted, and that's exactly what we did. So we essentially went home and we started to think about what to do, and we completely built a new cloud, a a community cloud, which is essentially uh, the possibility for for uh, companies of the same type of regulatory uh, demands to share infrastructure uh, at, on the same principle as you do in a public cloud, but without the noisy neighbors and with a direct contract, which then they can state. The needs they have in order for us to provide the service for them, so it we, it has to be turned that way, and this is essentially the discussion we're having right now with with the whole Privacy Shield and and the whole mess we are in with with uh, with uh, uh, American hyperscalers today is that the companies should not well the companies should adapt to the regulations the the the, uh, the providers, that is, we should adapt to the regulations, the customers or the countries should not adapt to a company's um, business model. So we took that on as a challenge and so said, all right, fine, let's build a cloud. Then with that, it's actually built as a pay-as-you-go cloud that is still shared infrastructure, have all the same uh, bits and pieces and and beautiful things that you get in the public cloud, but it will be secluded to those types of industries, essentially so that's what we did so hence lo and behold we had a new service called compliant cloud so there's a difference between our the difference between the two clouds is that the public cloud is for anyone at any time with a credit card essentially on the same principle as any aws cloud or azure cloud out there the compliant cloud is completely separated and we onboard the uh, the, the companies and the customers into that cloud so It's not for anyone at any time, we will onboard them depending on their actual needs, but the cloud is then regulated. And this is what you're going to talk about with ISO standards and and compliance uh, processes around the cloud, which then secures that specific industry's
1: needs, if that makes sense. So the security demands just being a cloud or being a uh, sourcing provider that provides, uh, actually sets up your IT infrastructure on-prem. Mm. The the demands are still the same. Yep. The security demands are still the same. Uh, so, for example, the, the, the thing was that what she was concerned about, for instance, is imagine a hospital with nurses mm. and you have a patient secrecy law here uh, that means that even if a nurse has access to your hospital records, she's not allowed to look through them unless you have a medical reason for doing so. Uh, just being curious to see which of her neighbors has STDs. <laughs> yes. It's not okay for her to browse through. Uh, and uh, if, she does, uh, if she does this, uh, she might even end up in jail. She will mm. for sure lose her job. mm If I, as an IT consultant, who have access to exactly the same information, Mm -hmm. abuses my access, and do this and browse through hospital records, if I'm a contracted sourcing partner, my personal thing would be that I would be yelled at by my company, and they would be sued, Mm. but... I, as a person, individual, would surely not, neither possibly lose my job, and I would surely not face any type of prosecutions. Nope. This was actually updated in Sweden a bit because it makes perfectly no sense at all that there should be different penalties and punishments if you breach the same type of information, Hmm. depending on what. uh, if you're a nurse, medical practitioner, or if you're an IT service stuff, yep. if you have access to the same information and can cause the same breach, yeah, the penalty should be the same. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was a description, uh discrepancy, and of course, uh, if you then as a organization in uh, a regulated organization uh, pushes everything out into the cloud you actually, in the normal general terms, lose all control of your data. Hmm. Uh, you have no control over who's administrating that data. And this is the biggest thing. Uh, you still have to do background checks, security verifications, of all the staff that controls, that can control your data. And uh, this is hard with the big hyperscalers. We have a global hmm. <laughs> administrative staff. Mm-hmm. So And, but that said, they have updated their terms a lot as well and adapted them. So they do provide special offerings to resolve a lot of this, but it's a total different price tag. Mm, For sure. And that's the same you will see even at us. We have different price tags for the compliant cloud part, for the city cloud part. So the public cloud has a different price tag. The interesting part is from a technology point, it's the exact same technology. Mm. It's the exact same hardware and software that we provide it on, base Mm. it on. So Mm. technology-wise, they will work just the same. Mm. And if you use more of them, and uh, we have talked about this, we think all companies need hybrid clouds. Yes. They will need different types for different workloads. Yes. Your testing environment should be in the public cloud. Mm. If it works the same as the compliance part, you don't need all the certifications and regulations and part. No. So, what do we then mean with compliant?
0: Yeah. Well, let's start with security and compliance. Is that the same thing?
1: No, unfortunately, not security and compliance. The compliance is, of course, intended in many ways to be secure. That's the idea why they set these re- regulations. Uh, the problem is that there's a lot of things, especially in a fast-moving, evolving industry like cybersecurity and the IT <laughs> industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that are secure, but not compliant. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are compliant and not secure. Yep. Our ambition from the get-go, from the start, was, of course, to provide a secure cloud, first and foremost, Yes. and then ensure that we met all the compliance regulations by being secure, mm. but actually being secure. Mm. And this is a challenge in itself. Yeah. Because compliance is just surviving an auditor checklist. That's actually what compliance is. It's yes. A, it's a paper exercise, mostly. It is. But then it depends on what type of auditor do you get, who comes with the checklist. Mm. Is it an engineer who can understand the technology behind it and understand have an understanding of the modern working environment and modern security threats?
0: Mm.
1: Mm? Uh, Or is it a lawyer who have an understanding of the basic regulations and understand what they meant when they actually wrote these regulations? Yeah. What the intention was behind the checklist? Or is it a bureaucrat (laughs) that strictly follows exactly the letter it stands in the checklist? Yeah. One example is, for instance, a factory is uh, set to produce thirty metric tons of nails every day. Mm-hmm. The auditor comes and finds one huge nail weighing thirty tons. Yep. And check done. <laughs> Fixed. Absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like to do uh, draw a comparison from military days when I was in charge of ensuring uh, uh, my soldier's security, mm-hmm. an auditor would come with his checklist and say, you should have steel-plated armor weighing at least 30 kilograms. And you should have double horses for each soldier. hmm Now people might think, "Check, what are you talking about?" Yeah, because this protects from crossbow bolts and uh, uh, arrows from
0: (laughs) bows and arrows, essentially. from bows and arrows. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking we're talking medieval times. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: And and now people say, "Jesus, this is unfair comparison." No, actually not. In the IT world, most checklists, compliant checklists, are medieval. Yes. Consider medieval. Yes. So. I would then say, no, I provide body armor to my soldiers. Mm -hmm. They don't weigh anywhere near 30 kilograms because they're not made of steel. They're made of Kevlar and composite materials and can protect them from a rifle bullet. Yep. And I provide Humvees for them to drive in Mm -hmm. that are armored and protected instead of horses. This would, of course, totally fail the checklist Mm. if the auditor just went strictly exactly on what was supposed to be checked. Uh, the, the sad part is that you can get brilliantly competent auditors in medieval world warfare, mm. and they might even challenge as much as taking my body armor and shooting arrows through it. Yep. You know, the sad part with a body arm, modern body armor is that if they're built to stop a rifle bullet, it's highly likely that they would uh, not stop an arrow because it's different physics behind this. Mm -hmm. But the same way, a 30-kilogram steel-plated armor would for sure not stop a rifle bullet. Mm. So here we end up in the problem. And then what would foreseeably be the most secure way, of most probable, best way from probability point to securing my troops yeah, I bet in the modern warfare scenario, you would face a lot more rifle bullets than bows and arrows.
0: Yeah, most probably, yes. Mm. But, this, but this is actually true. And we've been through this so many times that the auditor, and, and, and the, the, if, you, if you ask yourself the question, okay, who is going to show up to me? The answer is, it depends. It, 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 there, there's, no, there's no standards here in terms of who shows up. But the, to your point, the compliance part is the checklist you have to be able to cross off every every box on the checklist. And whatever that person sees, he or she needs to understand in order for that compliance checklist to be fulfilled.
1: And then it comes especially interesting when you're a cloud provider, and they might, for instance, be expecting to see a static environment, a static mm. blueprint. Imagine that you do a building inspection of a newly built building. Mm. That's one thing, uh, but we don't do that. We want to do a security compliance of mass producing cars and you don't crash test every single car leaving the line <laughs> No, that wouldn't leave any whole cars <laughs> to sell. So you have to select a few and crash test. them. Yeah, exactly. So this is the tricky part, of course. Mm. Uh, since you don't actually do it, so it's more of securing the production and explaining this is also mm. a challenge. Yes. But this is something that we do extra as the service we provide. Mm. So how do we do this? Yeah, we look at the Germans. Yes. Why do we look at Germans?
0: Because the Germans has ordinal and they are <laughs> essential. I mean, here's here's the truth in terms of EU. Whatever the German says or does pretty much will end up being European standards pretty soon and the reason for it is because they're extremely good at it and especially in terms of IT security they are really good they are they are very much in the forefront of setting up new regulations setting up new protocols being in the forefront of of, uh, new services so far I do challenges if you know anyone else but we have only found one uh, new sort of cloud regulation that has been proposed lately and that came from the Germans it's called the C5, um, which is essentially a new standard for cloud services. So it's a modern checklist, which so the, you know, you, you, you essentially said, we'll do what the Germans do. And that was our plan six years ago. And we're still sticking to that plan because it, it has turned out to be very much true. Whatever the Germans does or do, the EU will pretty much follow suit within a year or two. And then the rest of the EU has to tag along. So hence
1: why we look at the Germans. And I know that if, I'm, if I provide something that's good enough to satisfy the Germans, mm. there's very little other nations within the EU that will challenge the Germans and say, you're totally wrong. EU. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> so the big thing with German, with the German authorities is that they are actually advising as well. Yes. They're not just enforcing. Yep, they're actually telling you what you need to do as mm. well in a sensible manner. Uh, the smaller countries within the EU, let's face it, it's a matter of competence and resources. Mm. And they usually only focus on enforcement because they don't have the resources no. to, to do advisement no. that much. So uh, if you want advice, then it's a good thing to just follow the Germans and follow that. Mm-hmm. So we try and adapt to the German standards and German way of thinking. The mm-hmm. Germans are worried into ISO, Yes. ISO 27001 mm-hmm. as the standard, because they want to follow global standards. The, the thing you have to understand with the ISO certificate is that the, even though a certificate means a third party has come and audited it, So it's not just your mother that says you're great. (laughs) (laughs) It's someone independent that actually says you're great. Exactly. uh, that doesn't mean that much because you can set the standards of what you do yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ISO standard tells us pretty much what should we do Mm -hmm. included. And that's very comprehensive. The thing is how we do it is something you can adapt yourself. Where, where do we get the thresholds and measurements on how we should do it? How much security should we have? How much physical protection should we have in our data centers? Yeah, that comes from the German authorities. Yep. So it's a combination. Putting it into a certification and then putting it in what's called a statement of applicability. Mm-hmm. That's where we state how we do the protection. Yeah. And exactly... What levels are we meeting requirements? And that is something we need to adapt Mm -hmm. to the modern requirements from the German authorities. Yep. For instance, for banks, finance, insurance companies. Yes. Healthcare agencies, government agencies. You have a set of basic requirements that you want to meet. And they have also a minimum level of how you should do things, not just Mm. what you should do, but also how you should do things. And these are the things we set up and meet. But this, of course, takes a bigger overhead on Mm. the infrastructure, on the services we provide. So that's, yeah. And that's why what comes with an extra price. Yeah.
0: So uh, the whole, th- but but just to explain that as well in terms of the ISO certificates. Now you can have multiple certificates. We have one ISO 27001 certificate for our public cloud, and we have one different one, a separate one for our compliant cloud, and they are different in the term in this, in the way they are set up. Just to your point, to meet the different needs that we have in the different services. So what? just having a certificate is not doesn't mean that they look the same.
1: It's the statement of applicability that's the interesting part. Yes. So we have different statements of applicability. That's because we have different levels of mm. security assurance. Yes. Different secu- levels of the security controls. Uh, imagine you can compare it to you need to have a lock on your door. Yeah, what type of lock? There's a lot of different ones. Mm. Uh, is, it, uh, is it good enough just to have a... Uh, single locking pin that I can push back and forth. Mm.
0: Well that's it's also a, a lock on the door. A, it's a lock a lock. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> but it Or should I have something more advanced for mm-hmm. that this is not something that you necessarily see from a certification by itself. Mm. You need to look at the statement of applicability. Yep. Anyhow uh, just us having these certifications so we can give the assurance that we meet all the regulatory demands for this industry Hmm. now what can a customer just come in and say oh then my application is automatically certified and compliant well our experience tells us they sure hope that's the case (laughs) but
0: uh, the reality is no Uh, And here's the difference in terms of uh, owning a complete delivery as you might know or you might have be accustomed to in terms of normal hosting procedures and the cloud. There's a difference. Uh, We as a cloud provider has the certificate and that the certificate in itself is then connected to our organizational number. So it's our certificate in order for our customers to have a 27001 certificate as well, they actually need to get one themselves. So the chain is complete. The fact that we and Amazon and most providers has these certificates is just a security blanket for the customers to know at least the infrastructure we're using are certified according to these standards. So uh, just because you add your application into our cloud, does not automatically mean that you have a 27001 certificate or any of other uh, other of the uh, any of the other standards that the certificates that we have but it does secure your infra- infrastructure and give you peace of mind that the, pro- the provider that you use have the certificate so you as a customer actually has to go through your own certification process in order to make that chain complete
1: so that's it- that if you build a car with certified components, it's a lot easier Mm. than having uncertified components. Yes. That doesn't still mean that the car, the end product itself Mm. is certified. You need to do that as well. I usually compare this with uh, electrical power installations. Mm. Uh, Not anyone is allowed to mount wall sockets, however they want. You're not really allowed to draw your own power lines inside your own house. Have you heard? When I know we... this is a shock for someone, but uh, at least in Sweden, we have <laughs> regulations that needs you be, need to be a certified electrician.
0: Yes, in, or, in, in order to get your insurance paid if the house burns down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You, can, you can do it. But don't go to your insurance company and then then (laughs) moan and complain that you you have no house anymore because it burned down. Uh, No, you actually have to be a certified electrician to do jobs in terms of in in a house or whatever it might be.
1: And then you need to have certified products. There's a lot of great ISO standards on how you build electrical components that Mm. are certified, that meet the security standards. Yep. So you need to both be a certified installation. Technician, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Technician and mm-hmm. you need to have certified products. Or cloud is more the certified products. We have mm. already certified the products for you. So you don't need to recertify them yourself. No. But then, and... yeah, you still need to be certify your installation. Otherwise, yes, <laughs> the chain won't be complete.
0: And the whole thing with the certification is that it is audited each year. And that's true, actually true for an electrician as well, that each year you actually renew your certificate that you are competent enough to do the job. I'm, I can just give you a, an example. I'm actually an uh, electrician in, at heart. That, well, that was my, my my baseline, but that's well over 20 years ago. I'm no longer certified electrician, so I can't go into a house and say, you know what, over 20 years ago I was, so I'm well, well competent enough and certified to do this. No, that's not going to be the case. So that's the whole beauty of it. And the same goes with ISO certificates and everything else. It's re-audited each year, so you get a, you get a seal of approval each year that you actually have an infrastructure that is competent enough to fulfill the demands.
1: So no. having an ISO certificate by itself does not mean you meet the government regulations. No. Nope. What we do is we give the assurance that we follow what are the government regulations for each industry. Yes. And then adapt our ISO certification for that one. The mm-hmm. ISO certification itself is a good seal of approval for customers to understand, yeah, okay, we meet uh, this and we have them checked so we have a stamp of approval when we mm-hmm. do this. It's like having... Uh, yeah, certified components, CE marked electrical components. Yeah. It's a lot easier then to build something on top of that. Exactly. So that's the whole idea. Hmm?
0: So that's how we do it essentially. And that's that's the foundation of City Network. So the two services we have, public cloud and the compliant cloud, uh, which are different, but the same technology, but they are different in terms of compliance regulations.
1: And we even offer private clouds for we those do, who want it. For sure. So so we can offer all the cloud types and as well as in a hybrid scenario so Mm -hmm. and what's a hybrid scenario then meaning you can use different cloud types for different services but you're still the same customer so have you heard? That's, yeah, and we
0: actually like said, we actually promote that idea also, mm. which might yeah. be different to, com- compared to others. Um, but still, that's that's the foundation of us, and that's the that's the genesis of where uh, every everything started, and why we're doing what we're doing. We're going to continue to talk about this in, in upcoming uh, episodes as well, uh, because we do believe there is a reason to explain this uh, not only to our listeners, but our customers, and actually people working with us as well. It's, uh, it's good to know why you do what you do, not just that you do. So that's uh, what, that was the whole intent and purpose anyway.
1: Yeah, so, and if you think this is self-promoting, yes it is, but we thought it might still be interesting.
0: Yeah, actually, actually, and this is the first time we do anything self-promoting, really, to be honest and fair. And the whole thing was that we realized that we've been sitting here for over a year now and talking in a podcast and we haven't actually explained really what we do as a company and that might be a benefit
1: to you as a listener to know as well. Yeah, we thought it might be interesting to understand where we're coming from and our experience in this, Yes. why we are actually. Exactly
0: so in upcoming episodes we might uh, dig a little bit deeper in terms of our services and what we do as well with that but if you want to join in if you want to ask questions if you want to participate in the podcast do uh, go to our website sitnetwork.eu slash podcast and you can find all information about how to contact us or how to get a hold of the episodes prior to this one but for now we hope you have a great upcoming weekend and we'll talk to you next week Thank you.